Have you ever been tempted to give up or check out in your walk with God? Have you been at a place in life's journey where you felt overwhelmed and overshadowed by life's obstacles, setbacks, or heartaches? It could be you are at such a place right now, a place where you are hungering for hope. If so, then Hope Along the Journey podcast is a ministry of encouragement created specifically with you and others just like you in mind. And now, here is your host, Mark Cravens, to share a word of encouragement with you today. Hello, friends, and thank you for listening today to Hope Along the Journey. We're glad that you joined us for today's episode. And it's a delight to have with me today none other than M.R. McCrary. Brother Mac, as we love to call him, Brother Mac, welcome to today's episode. Well, thank you very much, Brother Mark. I, I'm honored that you would ask me to be on your podcast, and so... It's joy to sit across the table from you. Oh, it's a joy to have you too. I've been, I've told my wife several times. I've just got to get over and get a recording done with Brother Mac, and I'm here in the Aryan Revival, just wow, ten minutes away. Yeah. And so we got to visit the other day, and now we had lunch together, and here we are finally recording. For those okay. of you that don't know, Brother Mac, he pastored for 35 years, was a, a very successful pastor. He was in evangelism for nearly 20 years. He and his family traveled. They, they held revival meetings. They did recordings. Uh, he's founder and director of a youth camp that was called Appalachian Youth Camp. And it was about 20 years that you were director and president of the camp. That's right. Yeah. And then he was also the founder and director of Ambassador Institute that was located in Greenfield, Indiana. For a number of years, and then he also served as public relations director of Hope International Ministries down in Hope Sound, Florida. You've worn a lot of hats, Brother Mac, yeah. haven't you? Yeah, I have. <laughs> well, you've you've just given your life to ministry, well, and I'm I'm grateful to God for every moment that I've been able to serve Him and uh, whatever capacity. Yeah, I loved every moment. That's great. That's great. Well, you know, I, I, having these headphones on and doing this recording reminds me when I did my internship with you when I was 19 years old. Right. And you had a ra- you did a radio broadcast. What was the name of that broadcast out there? Well, Grants? we had several radio broadcasts. We had one that was called Revival Echoes. Yes. And you have spoken several times on Revival Echoes. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had one, uh, Moments of Devotion. That was focused toward the the teenagers, mm-hmm. and then we had Annie Lane's Children's Hour, which was that. for the children. Yes, I'd forgotten about that, but I remember Elaine doing that. Yeah. That, was, that was awesome. Yeah, you know that was back in the early eighties. Eighties. Yeah, and and while today that may sound old school, in a lot of ways it was very cutting edge back then, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, of course, I was in Pennsylvania when it happened, and and uh, my dear friend Barry Arnold mm-hmm. uh, had been on the radio for years, and uh, very fruitful ministry. Mm-hmm. Right, and I uh, I recognized from his ministry on the radio that uh, the ministry of radio was was very powerful. Yes, it was. And so. I fought, I copycatted, <laughs> and I followed Brother Barry Arnold, and uh, 
and we saturated Lycans Valley with with uh, radio broadcast. That's awesome. Yeah. Yes, it's it just so great. Well, uh, I told you I was going to ask you a couple of questions, three, probably several questions before this is over. But one of the things I wanted to ask you to do was to share a little bit about your call to ministry because you started preaching at a very young age. So would you tell our listeners a little bit about your your conversion and your call to ministry? Well, I was uh, t- 10 years old when I got saved. Mm-hmm. Uh, my My mother had gone to church uh, regularly for two or three years, she asked my daddy if he would uh, go to church with her because they were in a revival meeting with O.W. Willis. Mm-hmm. And uh, she said, you'd really like his preaching. So uh, dad agreed he would go. And that night he got saved. And the revolution in my dad's life mm-hmm. impacted me like nothing else could have. Because my dad, uh, uh, while he wasn't, he wasn't a drunkard by no stretch of the imagination, but he loved his social drink, mm-hmm. and uh, and he was a card shark, mm-hmm. and he was very profane. Uh, just about every sentence he had to, he had to put a profanity in it. Mm-hmm. And that night, my dad just turned 180 degrees. Amen. And uh, I never saw him smoke another cigarette. I never heard him use another vile, profane word. Mm-hmm. I never, I never saw him get angry again. He was just a totally different man. Yeah. And became the man that I, uh, that I wanted to mm-hmm. be like. Mm-hmm. And uh, my sister and I, there was five years difference in our ages, and uh, I we fought like cats and dogs. <laughs> I I was a little rascal, and uh-huh. I I just I could I could get angry at the flip of your finger almost. And when she got saved the same night Dad did, she wouldn't argue with me anymore. <laughs> in fact, she just started doting on me and tell me how much she loved me as her brother. And, and uh, with seeing the change in her and seeing the change in my dad, one Easter Sunday morning, I uh, w- mother and dad had the church out for an Easter Sunday morning sunrise service. And uh, it was it was in our backyard that our pastor was reading from John chapter 19. And... Uh, He read about the crucifixion, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, I saw him hanging on the cross for me. Mm-hmm. If there was no one else in all the world, mm-hmm. he would have died on that cross for me. Amen. And I uh, I didn't do anything about it at the sunrise service, but in the morning worship hour, my mother did an unusual thing. She came around. The, from the back of the church and slipped up behind me when the invitation was given. Mm-hmm. And this was totally out of nature with my mother. But uh, she said, son, would you like to give your heart to Jesus this morning? And that was all it took. I I, I ran to the altar and 
and uh, <laughs> that was my salvation. That was a life-changing moment, wasn't it? Oh, that my. Yeah. A, a truly life-saving moment, mm-hmm. except for the fact that for the next three years, every, every sermon on hell I heard, every sermon on the second coming, my pastors were eloquent speakers, and mm-hmm. they could make you almost smell the smoke, <laughs> and uh, you could mm-hmm. you could practically uh, feel hear the trumpet when <laughs> the Gabriel was coming. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the bottom line is, I went to the altar over and over again. Mm-hmm. I sort of developed a cliche: if I had to ride this altar. I'll buy me a saddle if I have to, because I'm going to get to heaven. And uh, right. But at the age of 13, I was kneeling beside my dad as we passed the old year out and the new year in, mm-hmm. and I caught myself praying, Lord, I want to be a child of God just like my daddy, mm-hmm. kneeling here beside me. Mm-hmm. I want to walk in his steps. I want to become the man that he is, that he has been. And uh, so that was that was when I really got my feet down. That's awesome. And uh, my dad was my hero. Yeah. When did you start preaching? At what age? One year later, I was I was fourteen. Wow, it's amazing. I I came home from school one day, and I I went to my uh, my bedroom mm-hmm. uh, to have my devotions. So I got my Bible out, got me a sketch pad, <coughs> excuse me, and I knelt beside my bed and I read, I was in Exodus, and I read the passage, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Mm-hmm. And something happened. I'd been saved. I knew that feeling. Mm-hmm. I had been sanctified. Mm-hmm. I knew that feeling. But this was totally different than anything I'd ever felt before. Mm-hmm. And I thought, boy, that'd be a good text for my pastor to preach from. So I jotted it down, and the Lord spoke to me and said, would you preach it for me? Mm-hmm. And I was so shocked. I said, Lord, I can't preach. I, I, I can't wait till May to kick off my shoes so I can go barefooted. <laughs> I'm still just a kid. I I like to roam the woods. I like mm-hmm. I like my solitude. I can't even get up in front of a Christmas crowd and say a Christmas poem without getting nervous. And I can't do that, Lord. But he asked me again, and I finally I said, "Well, Lord, if it's your will, I will." Mm-hmm. But and I'm not telling anybody. I mean, this is ridiculous. I'm not telling my mom. I'm not telling my dad. I'm not even telling my pastor. <laughs> that was on a Monday. Mm-hmm. Tuesday night, my pastor came out, which was not unusual because my pastor had sort of uh, taken me under his wings. He's new on the charge and. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know the people, so he takes me with him mm-hmm. because a lot of them are my relatives. Mm-hmm. And so I'm I'm a way for him to get acquainted with the crowd. Mm-hmm. So I thought we were going calling. 
And I said, where are we going calling today? And he said, we're not. I said, oh, okay. Then why are you here? He said, I came with a question. I got to ask you a question. Ray, are you called to preach? Wow. And I said, amazing. Well, yeah, yeah, (laughs) but I just found out last night. He said, I've known it for six months. Isn't that something? I said, what? Why didn't you tell me? If I would have told you down the road, you would have thought Pastor Decker called me. Now that God has spoken to you, I'm going to be out of town tomorrow night, and I'm going to ask you to fill the pulpit for me. So Monday night he called me to preach. Wednesday night I was in the pulpit. I preached two and a half minutes <laughs> and was so I was so ashamed of myself. My mother, she came right up on the platform and got off. Hold of my hand, took me out of the church. <laughs> and she said, on the way to the car, she said, Ray, you'll never make it. <laughs> oh, that was encouraging, wasn't it? <laughs> I started crying. I'm a, I'm a 14-year-old kid. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so I started crying. I, mm-hmm. I was humiliated, you know, that I that only spoke in two and a half minutes. And I said, I know it, Mom. I can't, I'll never make it. Mm-hmm. But my pastor came home. And he got on the phone, called a neighboring pastor, mm-hmm. and said, I got a young man in my church that just got a call to preach, and uh, you need to have him in your church as soon as you can. He said, well, next Wednesday night. And so <laughs> the next Wednesday night, I preached my second <laughs> sermon. And then he got on the phone again, and he called a neighboring pastor in Princeton, Indiana. And uh, Brother Calvert called me down on a Sunday morning. And I, I got in the pulpit, and I said, Lord, if I'm going to preach, you're going to have to give me souls mm-hmm. to prove I'm calling. So when I got my sermon done, gave the altar call, 10 people came to the altar that morning. Oh, isn't that beautiful? And that was God yeah, yeah. just sealing the call. Mm-hmm. And uh, the year I was 51, the year I was 15, I preached 151 times. By the time you were, that year you turned 15, you preached 151 times. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That is incredible. The reason why I know that was when I got my credentials. They said, well, you're awful young. How many times did you preach this year? And I said, well, I'm guessing around 150 times. And they said, well, that's more than we preach as pastors. I said, maybe I'm a... So I went home and I checked my records, and I had preached 151 times. That is just an incredible, yeah. incredible story. The Lord really, he really, the Lord, the Lord just threw the doors open. Yes. and uh, and all through my high school years, I uh, I had our weekend revival just about every every weekend, and I would put all my excuse blank for school away in the revival meeting. And my principal called me in the office and said, what are you talking about when you send your away in a revival meeting? And I said, uh, well, I'm speaking different churches. Mm-hmm. We call it revival. He said, I know all about revivals, but he said, 
at 15, you're preaching revival. Yeah. And he said, Marshray, I'm going to keep all of these excuse blanks, and if I ever get a complaint, I'll have to talk to you about it. But if nobody ever complains, you got my blessing. <laughs> you can be gone every weekend. And uh, That's so, an amazing story. So I, uh, I was able to, uh, yeah. Wow. And so the years came and went. You've, you put in, again, I'm looking at like 35 years. Yeah, it's our door ministry. It's we incredible. Got, we got married at 17 and 18. And while I was still 18, I took my first pastorate. Your first pastorate at 18? Yeah. Unbelievable. I had, when I was 15, I started going to Frankfurt mm-hmm. fall and spring mm-hmm. uh, for seminars. And uh, my, uh, my vocational pastors would go and get their books for ordination. Right. So I started going when I was 15. One of the neighboring pastors wanted me to go with him. And uh, so by the time I graduated, I had about all of my books for ordination. Mm-hmm. And so... That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway... Well, you think... I think about it, Brother Mac, and, and I thank you so much for sharing that, because there's stuff... There were things there that I haven't even heard as well as I know you. I hadn't heard all of those details. Really? Oh, yeah. So that's, that's amazing. Uh, one of the things that, among so many things that... God has blessed you with is the fact that you have mentored a lot of young men, myself included in that number. Do you have like a like a just a ballpark figure, a rough estimate of maybe how many young men have done internships or you have helped to mentor in ministry? I, I don't I don't know that I've mentored that many. I would say as I had the opportunity to to do an internship with mm-hmm. you, I probably I've probably had ten or twelve. That's still it's still young, a good young number men now. that yeah. I have been able to pour myself into and uh, and share and mm-hmm. and like like our moments with you out there in Gratz, I I had. Uh, I, I I've just poured myself into yes you did yeah and yeah. so to this day they're all the best of my friends yeah. you know yeah. and then I think about the work you did with youth yeah with Appalachian Youth Camp yeah. I mean again the thousands and thousands of young people yeah. in those years wow. that you led and the years that Ray led and all all the years at Appalachian Youth Camp I mean you're talking about Possibly tens of thousands of young people came yeah, through yeah, that. Yeah, I would say, t- yeah, I would easily. say tens of thousands. Yeah, yeah. and, and so uh, that's a powerful influence. You know, uh, ever since I was called into the ministry, needless to say, since I was but a youth myself, mm-hmm. I had a warm spot in my heart for young people, mm-hmm. and so when I I left my first pastorate and went over into Illinois. They voted me in as vice pre- or the president, youth president, and uh, they had no youth program at all. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was able to start my youth, first youth camp mm-hmm. in Illinois and uh, Southern Illinois, and uh, it that- grew to about two hundred and fifty kids, and. Uh, 
with a with probably a seventy five to hundred staff. Wow! So yeah. so that was my first taste of mm-hmm. of working and dealing with young people, and I fell in love with it. Oh, you just were, and again, it just there are so many young men out there today and young women that oh, look to yeah. you. Yeah. with the fondest of memories because of your impact and your influence. It just is going to, it just lives on. And then only that, but, and I've talked to you about this, that so many young men came through who were in Bible college or who attended the camp and then went back to their youth camps and said, Hey, I've been to AYC. Here's how AYC does it. We need to start doing what AYC does. And what and what happened was, in many ways, AYC began to multiply all across the country. And yeah. so many youth camps yeah. adapted so much of what AYC was yeah. doing at the time. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was very uh I was very honored, you know, mm-hmm. uh that people would call me and and say, would you share your itinerary with us? Would you would you let would you let us in on what you're doing at AYC? We we're wanting to start a camp here, and we right. we we think that copycatting is the highest form of a compliment that you can give a person. So mm-hmm. we we want to compliment you by by promoting the type of youth camp that you're promoting. And so yeah, I was able to I was able to give input into. Several camps. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. you it, and it's, and again, and I and I know that there are times when you know the devil likes to tell all of us that you know we haven't done much, or oh, that, oh and especially as we get older in life and yeah. we can't maybe do what we used to do, yeah. it then we feel like well we're sitting on the shelf. What did we really accomplish? Oh, what my. did we really do? And yet. As I sit here with you, and as we even just start, just be barely cracking the surface, it's amazing how God took a boy from Southern Indiana that started preaching so young, who couldn't preach more than two and a half minutes, whose mama said, "You're never going to make it." I know, I know. And yet you have you have preached all over the country yeah. in so many denominations and around the world. Around, I've, yeah, I've been around the world. And you have just touched so many thousands and thousands and thousands of life. Brother Mac, it just shows you that when when somebody really gives their life to Jesus Christ, it's amazing what he can do with them. Yeah. Well, I'm honored. I I I'm humbled. I um I don't even know how to thank God enough. For what he has allowed me to be a part of, yeah. and uh, it just—it's been a—it's fr- been very fruitful. It's been a great journey, hasn't it? It's been a great journey. Yeah. yeah, it has. And yet, the last three years, I think you pretty well described my the forlornness of my life. I. I, I've just been put on the shelf, more or less, mm-hmm. and uh, of course, my heavenly Father knows why. Yeah. And uh, but I, I I've had way too many hours to just sit around and mm-hmm. moping and and uh, feeling sorry for myself because the 
the opportunity seems to have faded away. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. then all of a sudden, here in the last six weeks or so, uh, the Lord is just beginning to open new, door, new doors for yes, me. And yes. uh, I've been able to pour myself mm-hmm. into so many different areas and right. Uh, right. people personalities and uh it's just been it's been a thrill for me just just knowing that my beloved son in the faith wanted to put me on a podcast and absolutely uh, and uh, share with both of my friends out there yeah, both of them <laughs> Well, we hope both of you are listening today to Hope Along the Journey. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, Brother Mac. I, I have so many friends that yes. have been so kind. And so uh, the last three years, it's been their notes on Facebook and yes, yes. and uh, Messenger. And, and they just have kept me uplifted. Yeah, that's right. And uh out of the doldrums. Well, we love you, Brother Mac, and we have none of us have ever forgotten you, even well, though there are physical things that have gone on that have yeah, caused yeah. limitations in your yeah. life and all. Yeah. And and one of the reasons I wanted to get you on the podcast was to get I just wanted to get the message out to everyone that Brother Mac is still around and he's still <laughs> kicking and Brother Mac still got something to share because I, I believe that with all my yeah. heart you have so much to share. Yet no, today, uh, uh, back in April or August of last year, uh, my my grandson got married, and uh, he wanted pap- Papa to mm-hmm. perform his wedding. Mm-hmm. So I, Mom and I flew out to Idaho, and uh, while we were there with Tony and and uh, his family mm-hmm. and Keith Wagoner. Uh, my nephew and they they sat down with me and they said, "Mac, we want you to come out here mm-hmm. and uh, pour yourself into our staff." Mm-hmm. And so they have a twenty seven member staff and and I I went out for a month and I I just uh, I I spent a month pouring myself mm-hmm. into all kinds of different ministries mm-hmm. and. Uh, Offering words of encouragement and mm-hmm. and sharing stories of my own life mm-hmm. that related to their ministry in particular, and uh, that was sort of a phoenix for me. I I felt myself just rising out of the ashes, mm-hmm. and uh, and more or less becoming uh, a glow again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's so beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, there's there's two more things. I just want to try to see if we can squeeze in here. First of all, you know, you talk about out there sharing with them, and, and you and I talked about this. What were one or two of the most important things that you tried to instill in young men when you were mentoring, when you were doing internships? What were a couple of those core principles or values that you really you were hoping that when they were with you, they would at least catch this or embrace these one or two core principles. I remember for me, I remember for me what it, what was it for me, and that is people matter to Jesus. 
because I saw in you the incredible love that you had for every everybody, both young and all, old. You, you had time and you took time. And maybe while you didn't set me down and, and coach me or lecture me, I caught it. Yeah. I saw that, and I thought, that's one of the things that makes Brother Max such a great pastor is he's got such a great heart and great love for people. But what were a couple of those things that you just really were in hopes that young, and probably are things that young pastors and preachers ought to think about even today? Well, about 50 years ago, I uh, sit down and uh, I wrote up for myself 10 rules for human relations. And uh, those 10 rules, most of which I gathered from my father. Mm -hmm. My father was a, was a tremendous people person. Mm -hmm. And uh, he would wave at people. He spoke to everybody on the street. Mm -hmm. He, uh, he would uh, always wear a smile. They called him Happy Jack. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I dug into my daddy's life, and I, I wrote up ten rules for human relations. Mm -hmm. And uh, I have practiced those ten rules from that day to this. And uh, a lot of it has to do mm. with uh, with just relating to people and 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 loving people, right, right, and s empathizing and sympathizing with mm -hmm. people, depending on the situation, and uh, being able to accept criticism graciously, mm -hmm. and. Uh, learned the art of being subordinate mm -hmm. and uh, I tried to teach all of my boys to be mm -hmm. their subordinate right somebody everybody's got to be subordinate to somebody yes so I would say I would say the human relations rules mm -hmm. and uh, and uh, subordination yeah. would be the, the main things I would and then when people criticize, I learned probably from John Mark uh, that criticism is not all bad, and if we if we're courage, courageous courageous enough, mm -hmm. we can accept criticism as constructive. Boy, that's a and, that's a big and, one, uh, isn't it? Mm -hmm. and, and make ourselves better men and women. That's great. That's wonderful. Well, before we wrap up today's episode, I, I told you I wanted you to tell tell a story from your life yeah. about how you were at a revival meeting and you were and your wife had asked you to come directly home. Yeah. But instead you, you did something a little different, which <laughs> led to a very phenomenal uh, a story and encounter in your life. Would you tell us that story before we close this episode today? Well, the emphasis on this uh, series that my son and his staff are preaching uh, was when God puts you in an out-of-the-way place mm -hmm. or allows something 
extraordinary or unusual to happen in your life, sit up, mm-hmm. pay attention, because God's trying to work in your life mm-hmm. or something's trying to happen right. that mm-hmm. you need to pay attention mm-hmm. to. So with that in mind, he asked me to tell this story. It was it was in the 90s, and um, I was in a revival at West Terre Haute, Indiana, and my wife was ill. She couldn't go to the meeting with me that night, so she said, the last thing she said before I left home was, do me a favor and come right home. Mm-hmm. Don't go over to the parsonage and talk. <laughs> she know, she knew you. <laughs> yeah, she knows me. Anyway, uh, and I I did I did I I. This is the part I regret about the story. Uh, I didn't keep my promise. <laughs> for after the service, the pastor said, "Come over for a glass of tea." I said, "I I I can't," mm-hmm. and he said, "Why?" I said, my wife wants me to come home. Ah, he said, she won't care. He said, come on over for 15 minutes. Well, uh, I'm sorry, but I I did. I went over for 15 minutes. And uh, then I uh, got in my car and was driving down 3rd Street in Terre Haute, Indiana, and I, I checked my gas tank, and I was dangerously close to empty, so I thought I'd better get some gas. Mm-hmm. So I pulled into the gas station, and as soon as I pulled in, another car pulled in on the other side of the island. And uh, when he got out, he said, Ray McCrary. And I thought, Estel Stewart. We hadn't seen each other in 25 or 30 years. So needless to say, there went another 20 minutes. <laughs> we were chatting and reacquainting ourselves and having a good time laughing with each other. Long story short, I got in line to pay for my fuel, and I I was standing behind a lady, and we chatted, but it was when she got to the clerk that I sat up and took notice because she said, do you know where there's a mechanic? in town this hour of the night. And the clerk said, at 10.30? No. Uh, To my knowledge, they're all closed at this hour. Mm -hmm. And the woman said, well, my husband's terminally ill. He has a doctor's appointment in the morning in Evansville, 8 o'clock, and we're broke down on the highway out there. And I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, when I paid for my fuel, I slipped out behind her as quick as I could. And I said, where is your truck and trailer at? Mm -hmm. And she said, about two miles down the street here. I said, have you ever been in Terre Haute? It's known as Little Chicago. I said, I wouldn't want my wife walking two city blocks, let alone two miles. I said, could I take you to your truck? And she said, oh, no. No, my husband would never allow that. I said, well, I'm, I appreciate that. But uh, 
please. It's way too dangerous for you to walk these streets by yourself. So she got in the car and let me take her. And uh, when we got there, her husband wasn't in the truck. He had gotten out and was in search for her. But uh, soon he came back. And I I rolled my window down and I said, "Uh, are you looking for your wife? He said, yeah, what do you know about her? I said, she's in the car here with me. And he went ballistic. He got angry, began to use profanity, Mm -hmm. and he told her, get out of that car right now. And I said, sir, I don't know you. I don't have any right to say this to you, but I'm going to say it anyway. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. This little woman of yours has walked two miles one way to try to find a mechanic for you because she loves you and she cares for you. She wants to see you get to your doctor in the morning. And here you are berating her. Mm-hmm. I said, I, I hope you feel bad about that. <laughs> and uh, he said, well, I, I, that's none of your business, is it? I said, no, but what is my business is that you're looking for a mechanic, aren't you? He said, yeah, you know where there is one? I said, I sure do. And I pointed toward the sky. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> he said, are you trying to tell me that God is a mechanic? I said, oh, yeah. I- I'm telling you he's one of the best mechanics in the, in the universe. I mean, I don't know how many times I've prayed over my cars, and he's always repaired them and fixed them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, yeah, he's one of the best. I, I don't believe that. I said, well, I, I'm not asking you to, but I said, I'm going to pray over your truck. <laughs> and I said, uh, and we're going to get you to Evansville tomorrow. Mm-hmm. He said, it won't do any good. I said, I've tried to start this truck 25 or more times. I said, well, let's give it another try. So I said, you get in the car, truck, and your wife, too. He mm-hmm. said, I... It's no use. And his wife piped up, and she said, Honey, get in the truck. Let him pray. If he prays and God answers his prayer, we can be on our way. If he prays and God don't answer his prayer, we're no worse off than we are now. (laughs) He said, well, that makes sense. So he got in the truck, and I, I, I stepped up on the running board, and I... I prayed a little prayer, Mm -hmm. and uh, Lord, my newfound friend, he needs to be the doctor tomorrow, and his truck is giving him problems, so would you heal his truck right now, please, in Jesus' name, and I said, okay, hit the ignition, he said, it's not going to (laughs) work, please, hit the ignition, (laughs) And as soon as he touched the ignition dock, that motor whirled into action. Oh, my. I mean, it was the sweetest sound <laughs> I'd ever heard in my life. <laughs> Matter of fact, I, I sort of breathed a sigh of relief and said, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. But. Uh, oh, that is powerful. Anyway, they got, they, he, I, he told his wife, he said, I can't believe this just happened. Anyway, I gave him a card, and I said, now you're going 75 miles that way. I'm going I'm going 75 miles this way. Mm-hmm. But if anything happens, 
you got my card. You got a cell phone. I got a cell phone. Give me a call. I don't care where you break down at. I'll come and get you. I said, I'm going to see personally that you get to your doctor in the morning. Right, right. And so he took my card, which obviously had my address on it. Mm-hmm. So two weeks later, my wife went to the mailbox and we got a letter, a, a postcard, and it was from the lady. And she said, my husband insisted that I write this letter to you. She said, "He first of all, he wants you to know that the truck has never ran better since the day he <laughs> bought it. He said, it's still running like a truck. Oh, anyway, what you don't know is my husband was an agnostic until that night. He, he believed in God, but he believed that God was too busy running the universe to take matters of man into his own hands. But he said that night changed my my husband's life. From that night, he began believing. He began trusting God. He began praying to God. He gave his life to God. And uh, my husband is a different man today. Because God healed our truck when you prayed. That's a beautiful story. What a beautiful story! <laughs> it was. It was. Uh, it was. I rejoiced all the way home. Yeah, that's I did. Great. I really did. That is so wonderful. Yeah, but when God takes you into situations that are uncommon mm-hmm. and into situations that are unusual, out of the ordinary, sit up. Take notice. Mm-hmm. Look around you. Is it God's providence that's working in your life? And I've had that to happen over and over and over again. Praise God. That's yeah. wonderful. Well, Brother Mac, I so have enjoyed recording this episode of Hope Along the Journey with well, you. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful to you, Mark. This means... I hope I haven't messed it up. Oh, you didn't mess it up. <laughs> As you would say, mankind, you didn't do anything. You didn't do anything to mess this up. <laughs> you know, people always wonder where, why I call everyone Doc. Well, I, you know what? I know where I got that from. Yeah. <laughs> I know where you got it from too. Yeah. Oh my. Well, the Lord bless you, and Man. I just pray that Brother Mac, that God will just continue to open some new doors for you. Well, and new opportunities for you to I, touch I'm lives at, for Christ. I'm at his beck and call. And if he wants me, I want to be like Samuel in his elementary age. Mm-hmm. Speak, Lord. Yeah, that's right. Servant here. That's right. Well, listeners, we want to thank you today for listening to today's episode of Hope Along the Journey as we had a wonderful conversation here with M.R. McCrary. Thank you so much for being part of our Hope Along the Journey family. We'd love to hear from you, so at some point, drop us an email at hopealongthejourney at gmail.com, or we'd love for you to go on to our website at hopealongthejourney.org, and after you log onto the website, you're going to have a prompt that's going to ask you to put in your email address to be part of our monthly newsletter, and we'd love to have you be part of the family and receiving 
the monthly Hope Along the Journey newsletter. Again, thank you for listening. I always want to encourage you to look to Jesus, for Jesus is truly the hope of the world. And if you look to him, you can find hope along the journey. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you would like to know more about Hope Along the Journey, or if you would like to make a donation to show your support and appreciation for this ministry, then visit our website at hopealongthejourney.org. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again for more Hope Along the Journey.